come with me into the tormented, haunted, half-lit night of the insane. This is my work. Let me lead you into it. Let me take you into the mind of a woman who is mad. Hi, and welcome to Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. I am your polterguide, Donna. I'm your polterguide, Adrian. I am your poltergeist, Ryan. And we have another very special guest with us today, um, poltergeist Stephen. Say hi. Howdy, rowdy. <laughs> Kinsey and Debbie went off to get some gas in the truck, and we're waiting for them to get back any second <laughs> now, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> this week we did a um, classic, a George Romero classic, Night of the Living Dead. And um, the 1968 version. The 19. Did George Romero do another version? Well, it's it's almost essentially a shot-for-shot remake, except for the fact that Barbara is um, not useless. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so the 1968 George Romero classic, Night of the Living Dead. Um, Let's see. Shall we talk about whether we liked it or not? Let's do that. Again, I don't normally do this part. Adrian, do you like it? Um, I like the remake better, but this is pretty classic. And, and, and honestly, the only reason I like the remake better is because Barbara is the worst <laughs> in this one. Really? Is. But I mean, this is one of my original favorite movies. I love zombies. I love, I love this. I will be um, be totally straight. I haven't seen this movie in a long time. It's been it's been a while. I like the culture around Night of the Living Dead more than the movie itself. Kind of what it spawned. <laughs> what I appreciate m- most is really like you know is the melodrama. Every single um, <laughs> because every single you know it's a bunch of people just arguing in a house. You know, just shouting at each other, <laughs> or you know, one of them sitting on a, on a couch. You know, but but. Uh, hey, I think two of them were sitting on a couch at one point. <laughs> yes, at one point in time, there's two of them on a couch. I appreciate how 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 slow the zombies are. Like you really got to suck to be killing one of these things. Like they just kind of like barely even walking. They just kind of like hobble back and forth, you know. And then all of a sudden they'll be like at the windows. But I, uh, when you think about any kind of zombie media, whether that be, you know, what's the, what's the zombie show right now? I can't think about. Walking, the Dead. Walking, Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Yeah. See, I don't watch it, but I have a lot of friends who do. You know, and um, and but I know that they're like, yeah, it's, it's a soap opera. It's a soap opera with uh, you know, with you know, with, with zombies in it. Okay. Um, and my favorite, my favorite horror horror films are ones that uh, you know, the the, the zombie action. That's that's great. That's fantastic. You definitely want to have some of that <laughs> zombie action here. Is kind of hilarious. Um. But but uh, it's really the dynamic between the characters. You know, in this movie, you have one very useful <laughs> person, hyper competent, artist, to keep all of the fools alive, <laughs> um, and they just they just you know don't want to be saved. <laughs> no, that's um, that's definitely yeah. d- the dynamic of this movie. Is I just kept being like, dude, Ben is babysitting a whole <laughs> bunch of insane people. But that's. I don't know how it would be. It's probably honestly, if you you try to get a, a bunch of random Tolsons in like a room and you try to be sensible and like keep them alive, they're all gonna dead themselves really fast because yeah. people can't get along and they can't. Um, uh, it's less about the collective and more about 
you know, one person. What did I watch recently? The the tra- train train to Busan. Oh, I don't yeah. Seen that movie. Um, yeah. But that there's another. Uh, it's you know, similar in a lot of ways. You know, there's, there's people trying to keep everyone alive. There's someone freaking everybody out. You know, and and so we end up instead of banding together, we end up killing ourselves because we can't uh, we can't all get in one frame of mind. But you know, it's uh, for what it started. A lot of movies really do you know, take this formula and just put new razzle-dazzle over it. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I can respect it more than I like, oh, I love the, the, the movie, but I can, I respect what it's put into the culture because it's the, uh, the archetype in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Ryan, what do you think? I, I like it. Um, I love the camp. Super campy. I just love how nihilistic it gets to the end with Ben's death and again with um, Mr. Cooper getting killed by his daughter and having his army in. Because up until that point, it's pretty like, it's silly, and then suddenly it's just like here's a little <laughs> girl eating her dad, <laughs> killing her mom with a trowel, and then Ben getting killed. Obviously, just super upsetting after all of this like goofy camp. I guess for a movie made in 1968, we shouldn't worry too much about spoilers at this point, eh? Yeah. Um. People have yeah, had time. I am. Uh, <laughs> I've seen this movie a couple of times before, though not recently. And um, I mean, it's it's definitely a movie made in 1968. It's kind of slow. Um, the uh, uh, you know the effects aren't great, um, but I mean, it is such a classic, and you kind of got to appreciate it just for what a classic it is. So I like it, but I don't know that I'm going to go out of my way to watch it again tomorrow. No. So, um, the script is a lot better than the actual movie. I think it's a very much like a student film, and the writing is pretty great. Like the but the car hitting the tree in the first like ten minutes, it misses by a solid foot, and there's this loud crash, and we see the dent. And I get what it's doing, but it's just- honestly, you could probably take the same dialogue and put it with a graphic novel. Um, yeah, and it might it might be a much more. I don't want to say effective because I don't want to insult. You know what was you know something. Uh, you know, a reasonably low budget, you know, uh, paradigm, you know, shift, I suppose, in cinema. Uh, but yeah, because um, obviously with the limitations, you know, and for any like, you know, anybody young without a lot of resources who wants to make, like, like go for yeah. it, you know, you, you, we wouldn't have what we have today if the basically, like Mystery Science Theater wouldn't exist if the, if the, <laughs> if the movies, you know, that they're kind of dogging on weren't there having the balls to just like, yeah, let's just do, do whatever. I'm sure it'll be cool. <laughs> you know, it's, um, and obviously, obviously this is not like those. I don't want to compare this to. Yeah. The, the I mean, feel free. It's fine. <laughs> I got to tell you guys what uh, IMDb says this movie's about. Um, according to IMDb, we've got a ragtag group of Pennsylvanians barricade themselves in an old farmhouse to remain safe from a bloodthirsty, flesh-eating breed of monsters who are ravaging the east coast of the United States. I'm not sure that's what I would have said about this movie. Um, I do want to add something about the script real quick. You guys keep talking about how much you like the dialogue. A lot of that dialogue was improvised. Really? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, really? Yeah, there, was, there were almost no written lines, I believe. And... Um, in particular, the scene where Ben is breaking up that table and he's telling the story about what happened to him, uh, that was all improvised. But oh. um, aside from that, a lot of the dialogue was just like, okay, and here's the scene. Go, you guys. 
<laughs> Can I tell you one of my one of my favorite things about Ben is Ben makes no effort at all to be likable. I mean, he he bursts in, he starts tearing things up, he starts taking command. He, you know, he he and in 1968 now, he he punches the chick. Um, he's just he just comes in. He is super competent, and he is super determined. We're gonna live, damn it! And he is making no effort at all to be friends. He just he wants to survive, and I I like that about him. Well, you don't, you don't need to be friends during a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> Plus, nobody else is likable in this movie. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> Fair. But, uh, but, yeah, mean, uh, but yeah, no, it's, I'm trying to live. <laughs> um, I do think that he does try a little bit because there comes a point where he's yelling at Barbara and then he like pulls it back and um, not to get too like, well, maybe to get to like comparing it to now you see that sort of like anger building up in him and then the immediate pullback like i cannot be too angry i need to chill see a, a black man in 68 you know as survival is a different thing than all of these you know white people um like you, <laughs> yeah you cherish life so much more i would say um when uh, uh it can be taken from you and you can be on the wrong side of a conversation you can be um you know, the wrong side of town, you know, kind of a thing. You, you live your life, you have to live your life smarter. <laughs> Which is you know, funny because he's, you know, the survival instinct. Like, it's not a game. And, uh, no, he takes it uh, differently. Um, and whether or not... See, I haven't looked into, like, all the, the, um, like the trivia as far as this movie is concerned. So I don't know how deeply that was, you know, Romero's, like... You know, if that was inside the character that he was trying to, you know, portray or not, I have no idea. The character was written for a Caucasian actor, oh. and Romero intentionally chose not to change anything about the script. Yeah. After they cast, oh, I'm an asshole. After they cast Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. Jones. Yeah, the quote Romero always gives is that Dwayne Jones was the best person who auditioned. That's awesome. See, I had a feeling when I was watching it that that was the case because there's there's no um, the the closest thing you get to anyone referencing him being black is when he first shows up and there's kind of a scare shot of him. Barbara runs out and the first shot you see of him is kind of this oh a scary black man, yeah. and then after that there's not a a recognition of of it at all. Well, it's pretty fantastic because, you know, often, you know, black people get cast to play black characters. It's why that whenever somebody makes the argument, well, what if they made, they get mad whenever, um, you know, like Domino is played by a black actor. So like, well, what if they made Black Panther white? I'm like, you guys, you keep bringing up these arguments, but it's, you get characters who are written to be like, you know, like you have to have a, I forget what the character was, like a Japanese character. He has like a giant, you know, Japanese flag on his chest. Like these people are made to be like these, um, we're made to yeah. exemplify like, our entire race and like people, you know, for like the, the X-Men team or whatever it is. And so people who are written for the race, but, but a character who's written as a character and everyone gets to audition, you know, it's why I always bring up like, when I was young and I saw this Cinderella, it was with Brandy and Whitney Houston, like Whitney Houston and Victor Garber have an Asian son, you know, and nobody asks any questions in this movie. It's just, uh, they're just kind of playing characters. They're not playing, you know, the black, you know, mm -hmm. character the Asian character. And like, I got a friend who's a voice actor. Um, he does stuff for, you know, for anime and for 
tunes. But he told me the other day, he's like, what you don't know is that I only get to audition like for black characters for like this this one company or white people can voice everyone from you know from Asian to white Mexican you know sometimes black people that's why I love Bo Billingsley as a voice actor growing up you know because I knew that he was a black actor you know or Phil Lamar who got to you know to do a little bit more but um he was you know he was upset he's like you know my, my voice can do like a lot of things but these people are only allowing me to audition for um, the black character where white voice actors get to play basically anybody like in Avatar The Last Airbender, the three the three lead characters are like Inuit people and their voice voice actors. You know, and the show is great. That's fantastic. But seeing, you know, knowing that this role was written, you know, for, you know, the norm, which was a white person, and then a black actor got to play him, it actually says a lot and changes, you know, kind of how I, I, I think about how it was played. I like you said that no, nothing was changed about the character, aside from the actor playing. Well, yeah, it's, it's very similar to Aliens, because in Alien, they wrote... Um, the character of Ripley as a male character, and then they cast Sigourney Weaver, and again in that movie, they changed nothing. When the race is inconsequential, like, oh, the, the, the example I always hear is Harry Potter, but let's not with that right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll be good on that, but, I, but I, I see what you're saying. Like, there's things that Sigourney Weaver can bring to that role as a woman, you know, that she, mm-hmm. you know, just in the way that she performs, but... One of the reasons that Ripley stands out so much to us is because she is not, uh, oh man, um, what's the, she's not really like sexualized. Um, exactly. You know, she's like, not, like, she's not put it like women in horror movies often have like the slut, the virgin or the mother role. And she's not put into any of those three roles. She's allowed to just be the character that's, that needs to be there. Very much. Oh, and this, yeah, it stands out to this day. And I guess that's obviously one of the big reasons why is that it's just a role and she got to play it and she can definitely bring those things to it, but you don't have to do, here's where I wrote the part where she says the lady words, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I dig that. Um, I want to talk about the zombies for a minute. Oh God. <laughs> um, uh, actually, I want to back up and say how much I love that the, the zombies come from radiation from Venus because I feel like yeah. that's George Romero going, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just have zombies. So radiation from Venus. Here. Um, now, I, I want to point out again that that changes from version to version. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah. There are, I don't know how many different things they actually filmed for that and how many things have been filmed later, but um, I've so many different versions of this movie where it just like sometimes they focus on the meteors and sometimes somebody will focus on this toxic sludge that spilled and then sometimes somebody will be like oh there was some weird stuff happening around the cemetery and so i i don't know is this the i actually am not sure which one is like the definitive version anymore yeah i know that return of the living dead which is kind of a play on this one goes with the toxic sludge and um and there was one version I watched where it kind of took a little bit of everything. It was like, well, this weird daylight savings time thing, and also these meteors, and also this other thing, and it was just all in there. And I, and I was like, I don't know, you could decide. <laughs> I like the version with the three the best. I think a little ambiguity can go a long way. Mm-hmm. We yeah, don't need to know why there's zombies. We see the zombies. We don't <laughs> need... It doesn't matter. That's... That's my, my kind of, yeah. but what I was going to say is these are tool using zombies, you guys. Yep. That's scary. <laughs> tool using zombies. 
it, it makes this movie stand out from the other ones in the I always think of it as the trilogy because it was the trilogy for most of my life and it wasn't until much later that Land of the Dead and stuff came out. But if between Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, you have zombies that get gradually better at tool use and stuff. Yeah. But then when you throw this one in, uh, they're already good at that. <laughs> and so it doesn't flow as well. And I think that this is an example of him coming up with this idea for the trilogy much later. Like this is 1968. So this is like a, like Dawn of the Dead comes out a full 10 years later yeah. than this movie. And, uh, um, and, 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 and yeah, so I don't think that he had all the plans to, the trilogy because dawn of the dead and day of the dead definitely flow into each other much better than night of the living dead does i mean i actually I haven't even seen the sequels <laughs> the zombie is not necessarily my favorite um i can dig a good zombie film um but the, the volume of them and my uh attention to them is not uh those things don't line up man uh, but I might, I might go and watch the them on, on your request uh dawn you know is amazing dawn, dawn of, of the, the dead, dead yeah, Dawn of the Dead is really good. I honestly suggest both the original and the remake. The remake has probably one of the best title sequences I've ever seen in oh a movie. You had my curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like as a trilogy, I don't think this really works as the kickoff movie. I think that the remake works better because they kind of, when they made the remake, I feel like knew more what they were like, oh, this is what he wanted to do. So we'll stick with that. But the other really interesting thing about the, the the trilogy is that each one sort of focuses on a different, and this might also be complete retcon. Like the movies came out, and then people were like, "Oh, were you trying to comment on the on the structure of race and society?" And Romero was like, "Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, I was." And then like, "Oh, this seems like it's a it's 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 a a metaphor for consumerism." Yep, I wrote that. Totally on sometimes, purpose. I think in sometimes a bomb is just a bomb. <laughs> I think in Dawn, the symbolism is just more there. Like the characters have lines like, the zombies are in the mall because that's what they did their whole life. They're that's doing true. their habits. And like that feels like very intentional. But Night of the Living Dead doesn't quite feel that way. Um, what I always think about with this movie is like what it must have been like to watch it in 1968 and not know what a zombie was. So, like, we're, like, modern viewers. We know the tropes. The little girl in the basement got bit. We, we know that she's going to turn. No one else watching in 1968 knew. And everyone else, I, I know they're slow and goofy, but they didn't know what those were. And so I imagine they had to be less goofy to the people who didn't know them. Yeah. Like what they were. definitely been desensitized. Um, and that's a lot of what my favorite horror is, is, um, uh, you know, it gets into your head. I'm sure people saw this in went home and they were you know it's like the, the movie it follows oh, yeah. like there's barely any there's any cg at all it's just a person walking towards you but that in itself uh can you know get in your head and be very uh scary like it's i think yeah real horror is psychological as opposed to jump scares um but the thought of people breaking into your home you know and trying to eat you is also um scary scary yes well i think that's part of the fear of zombies is that it takes like like the biggest scares in this movie come from the little girl and then it comes when barbara's brother shows when johnny shows back up yeah because these are these are familiar things these are the people you know and these they should be safe and they no longer are the one i'd add in is when um ben shoots the guy in the chest for the first time he like pauses for a second and then he just starts coming forward again 
And Ben shoots him in the chest again. And it's like, that's the heart. I know where a heart is. He shot that man through the heart. And until he hits the head, we just, because they didn't know that you had to kill a zombie from the head by then. Mm-hmm. It's true. There's no zombies yet. Well, there were the voodoo zombie movies, which were. You're, you know, you're, bad. you're, you're right. What this was like in 1968, it, it, that didn't occur to me because watching it, I'm like, well, of course that didn't kill him. But to somebody who's never seen a zombie movie before, they just shot that man through the heart, and he's still coming. That would, I think, yes, that would have had a lot of impact in 1968. I, I guess it works a lot better, better uh, than than. I, I guess they have to keep rewriting the zombie book whenever they, they make a new zombie film and act as if the people inside the movie are, are, aren't aware of zombies in the culture kind of thing like i think i never i never, I never watched the walking dead but i remember people saying have people in this show never heard of zombies before they call them fucking walkers <laughs> i trying to remember if train to busan did the same thing but yeah like every now and again you'll see one and it's like what was going on here and, it, and it's uh it's interesting when they try to create a universe where people inside this pocket universe are unaware of the, you know, zombies and the cultural zeitgeist. And it's like, really? Um, so, I mean, I applaud anybody who's ever, ever, ever able to do a zombie film that brings something new, not like new, to the table, you know, in terms of, uh, it's cool that it's able to, you know, like Ninja Turtles, it's cool that it's able to have lived so long and, and that we've been able to get so much, you know, milk out of this cow, when honestly, <laughs> uh, that, so, I, you know, I give praise uh, uh, to that milk out of this cow i love that no milk, milk out of this zombie cow <laughs> they look like this it's just sour cow. cream that's that's a lot less cool <laughs> steve that's a lot less cool <laughs> <laughs> um zombie games zombie movies you know call of duty you got the zombie mode like we're obsessed we yeah. are very obsessed with zombies you know plants love zombies yeah. Zombies are one of my favorite horror movie monsters. Like there was a point when I watched all of the zombie movies that Netflix had when Netflix was still sending out DVDs, including all of like the Nazi island zombies where it was just people painted with blue paint that literally rubbed off on everything they touched. Um, there were some very bad zombie movies made. <laughs> Um, I guess it all- but yeah, most of them, most of them try to pretend like they don't exist, and that's like that's sort of a pandemic across horror movies in general, where the horror movie tries to act as if nobody in this world has ever heard of a vampire or a werewolf <laughs> or whatever. And I'm just like, please stop telling me it was a wild animal attack. We all fucking know it's a werewolf. <laughs> I guess we can be. I guess we give the Twilight for her knowing that zombies that vampires are a real thing. I mean, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, or that vampires at least exist, like it's some cultural thing, you know. I, I guess I, well, I think it was in the Matrix where they're like, yeah, whenever someone sees like a zombie or vampire, that's just a glitch in the Matrix, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. It's like sort of a cool reference. Hmm. Yeah. Um. You know, I think that um, the only zombie movie I can think of that doesn't do that, I think, is Anna yeah. and the Apocalypse, and I think that they're pretty yeah. much quickly like, oh, these are zombies. <laughs> Fuck us. <laughs> I think Shaun of the Dead does pretty well too. Yeah. yeah. Shaun of the Dead has that amazing scene where they're like trying to throw their records at the zombie but they're only throwing the bad records so they're like going <laughs> through the pile and just oh that one sucks <laughs> no that was a really no, that was my girlfriend's <laughs> that was a good take i like you know when they for comedy or when they go for yeah. um, even like i think warm bodies was a fun like a romance <laughs> and a zombie, yeah. and a zombie was, it was kind of a fun take on it i think there's there is still places that we can go uh, with it, I don't think everyone tries to do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, like anything, uh, there are ways to uh, expand upon that. I'm trying to think about how many did Romero because Romero kept making 
Which Romero <laughs> made seven or six. Well, there's the original three, and then there's original Land of the three. Dead and Diary of the Dead. Survival um, of the Dead. Survival of the Dead. <laughs> like it's hey, that alone is is impressive because how old is he now making well, zombie films? He passed away a year or two ago. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't really exclude him from making zombie movies, no. though, right? They're making uh, <laughs> right now in production is the uh, Night of the Living Dead was written with a sequel, and they found the script for that sequel, and so the product uh, the sequel is in production now. Um, but speaking of sequels, did you all know there are twenty eight sequels to Night of the Living Dead? <laughs> of course, there are. <laughs> so the copyright card was originally going to be called Night of the Flesh Eaters, right? But there's this movie that came out in 64 called The Flesh Eaters. So the company insisted they change the name. When they changed the name, they lost the title card copyright. Oh. So it oh. became like anyone. It's basically an open source and anyone could make a sequel. It's like some of them are great. Um, there's like there's Zombie, which you all may know. It's the one where the shark fights the zombie in the ocean. I haven't that seen that one. one. <laughs> um, it, I think on Shutter right now. I have um, Shutter. There's also a really nasty like nail and an eye kill. But yes. There's 28 sequels to this movie. I think a bunch of them are Italian. Probably um, but, the Italians love zombie movies. Are the Return of the Living Dead movies counted among those? Yeah, because John Russo, who wrote the Night of the Living Dead with George, did his own thing, and that was the Return of the Living Dead movies. Kept the Living Dead, and Romero kept the dead. Yeah. I uh, I didn't realize that this movie, until I was looking at the wiki page, was um, originally written as a horror comedy. But that's what it says. And I guess Russo kept the comedy part, too, because Return of the Living Dead is not on any level serious. Yeah. I would like to talk a little bit about the portrayal of the women in this movie. Yes, let's do. Yeah, so uh, Barbara is a set piece, basically. <laughs> I want to know what happened to her. Because she seemed like a fairly normal person at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And, like, I'm not saying I've ever seen my brother killed by a zombie, but um, I feel pretty confident that I wouldn't start licking the doilies on the arm of the couch. <laughs> she also, like, weirdly has, like, a bunch of moments of competence and then she gets to the house because she has to escape the zombies to get to the house and as soon as she hits that couch it's just like the shock sets in for forever yeah 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 <laughs> just kind of lays there it's uh and uh, maybe if there's a dialogue that's all the actress can think of <laughs> <laughs> she was just real bad at improvising <laughs> she, she was like listen i've got good hair it's all i've got going for me. Do you see how long this hairdo took me? Oh yeah, her hair looks great. <laughs> it does. Even when she's dying, it's amazing. It's gray hair. And then there's Judy, who is capable of taking care of a child. And An unconscious child. Let me tell you, I do that every night while I am also unconscious. It's easy to do. <laughs> I mean, why? Why did she need to be in that truck? Why did she need to be in that truck? Um, didn't she get locked out of the house? Like, she, like, followed them because she's real dumb? She's real okay. pretty. That's All that's right. what she does, Donna. She's Her pretty. job is to be very pretty. I mean, but she left the safe house and then got locked out, yes, to go be in the truck. And I'm just like... There's I always mean, someone... There's always, there's always one who... Because you get, like, the coward, or you get, like, the person who's just, like, for no reason. There's a scene in the movie Pitch Black where they're all kind of together, and they're all okay, and then one person, you know... 
one light goes out and one person says, oh no, I'm going to decide to crawl out here into the darkness and, and get killed by the monsters. And it's like, why would you, why would you go over there? Why would you do that? <laughs> that's really dumb. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I don't, maybe that's, maybe it's a commentary on you know, how rational people, you know, can get, I suppose. It always bugs me in a movie when somebody like just, when there's, when there's clearly no, there's no way to win. There's no way getting away from the people will help you like survive uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's security in a group for sure but so I don't know I don't know if I can relate to a lot of the people in this film <laughs> and then, and then there's see. Helen who is just done she's just done with men she's just yeah. done she men. should have stayed being done with men she was doing better when she was done with men and then, and then she just stood there she just stood there while zombies are grabbing at her and I'm like what are you, what are you doing yeah when she fell so that the daughter could kill her and she laid on the floor for like 10 minutes for that slow walk up hand up or something you know when the plot with a trowel kicker you're a victim of the plot (laughs) like (laughs) victim of the plot so yeah, for for as great as the script treated Ben, it did not do as great a job with the women. Absolutely. To to um to bring it back around to current events because the world is ending and that's what we do now. Um, it felt very much like like watching that fucking video of the girl in the dog park. Not the dog park. She's not in the dog park. If she'd been in the fucking dog park. Amy Cooper. Yeah, of Amy Cooper just like getting fucking hysterical for like no reason. Like she's just losing her goddamn mind. Oh. And this and this and this dude is like talking to her calmly. And and that's what every woman in this movie felt like to me was just turning it up to 11 for no fucking reason. And I'm like <laughs> I don't like to use the word hysterical for women because of the historical context of it, but bitch, you are being fucking hysterical and you need to chill. Yep. It's how a lot of them are written. I think even still to this day, um, uh, you know, and that that's on the creators, that's on the writers to, you know, because people like they, they act as if women are overly emotional, you know, and, and, and irrational, you know, kind of a thing. And there's a time when I think about the movie like Babadook and how that's, there's a reason, you know, why she, uh, you know, uh, you empathize with, you know, like, yeah, like you might freak out too, like your, your kid's impossible, you know, you're something in the bait, you know, <laughs> you're being haunted by this ghost, you know, but, um, uh, but sometimes, yeah, like in a lot of, and I, when I see it in the film, I'm like, oh God, here comes a point that, you know, where, I'll, I'll bring it to Breaking Bad. You know, I didn't watch that until last year, but I remember everybody complaining about the female characters in that show forever. And it's even though what the women when I watched, I was like, these women are just going like, I'm like, why is everyone shitting on these women? You know, these these guys are all terrible, um, right? <laughs> uh, but they were just kind of written to be like naggy, and you know, and uh, like I understand why they were, but the way that the show was made, it was it's almost as if we weren't supposed to like women in this impossible situation trying to, to figure it out. Like it's still, I think an issue today. That's still yeah. better. Call, better call Saul is so much better by the way, you know? Um, yeah. Women, female characters go. yeah. I uh, thought uh, Skylar's behavior through most of breaking bad was entirely reasonable. It was. Yes. Is making, 
meth. Skyler, Skyler was a hero, but I remember that, yeah, everyone's like, oh, I hate Skyler so much, like, you know, years ago. And I watched it, I'm like, this is how misogynistic, you know, our society is that we are made to, like, hate the women trying to mm-hmm. figure out the impossible, you know, with a, like, that show is hyper-toxic. It's great, you know, great cinema, obviously, but Lord. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it, it, it even weaved, weaved its way into a, into a show where the people are being rational. Like, in this, like, you know, in, in Night of the Living Dead, yeah, like, it's not everything, I think, uh, makes sense the way with, with the way that people act. And I, I can't think of, like, a zombie film today, I would say, like, how do you feel about women's treatment and like the last zombie film you saw i can't think of what the last one i saw was um, um honestly anna and the apocalypse is really good oh I can't um yeah. for if for no other reason then they have just the most out and open clearly lesbian character who doesn't suck and does not die first <laughs> what about um, the, there was a jim jarmusch film that just came out um, oh uh the dead don't die i didn't see it but i, I haven't seen that, that one yet i did uh, not like it it was very uh like the joke was that everyone was underacting rather than overacting, and it just it mm. wasn't it funny for me. <laughs> I mean, it might work for other people. It's I'm trying to remember. There's one particular moment. It's like pretentious. It like it's a zombie movie that hates zombie movies, and it tries to like it thinks it's better than them. Is always the impression I get. Oh no! If you're gonna if you're gonna parody something, you need to love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they also very true. The Dawn of the the Dawn of the Dead remake is also pretty good to its female characters. I think Sarah Polly's character in particular is really good. Um, yeah, it's why Cabin in the Woods was so good because they it obviously loved horror films and mm-hmm. thus yeah you can make fun of the tropes but also you know work with them to make something um, really great. It almost makes That's you why make Scream it. works too yeah. because Scream yeah, loves really slasher does, movies. Yeah, it's really same with the with Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Like they love horror movies because if you're making something, if you're if you're trying yeah. to like tease something and you hate it, it comes through, and all the people who love that thing are going to be pissy about it. And I think the thing with the the dead don't die was that every bit of like satire and commentary he did was already in the George A. Romero versions. Side note. Uh, George Romero initially worked filming shorts for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. What? <laughs> That's crazy. Right? <laughs> so I had a question that I'm just curious what y'all think about. Um, do you think, do y'all think if the title card hadn't been destroyed and had kept copyright, that zombies would have gotten as big as they did? Or that this movie would still be something we're talking about today? No. You know what I remember is um, um, that... That James Jim Stewart James Stewart movie, um, the Christmas movie, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. No, um, it's, a it's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, uh, there was a there was a copyright thing with it too, and I mean it was it was nothing. It was a nothing movie, and then uh, TV rights. I don't remember the specifics of it, but basically because of some sort of copyright thing, it became the movie that was shown all the time because it was free for the TV stations to show. And now it's like the Christmas movie. I mean, that is, it is just such a part of the culture. Uh, It's a wonderful life, Um, which is a long winded way of saying maybe not. Actually, I kind of want to go back on what I said though, because when they cast Dwayne Jones in the movie, that was kind of a really big deal. Yeah. Like to have a a, a male black actor uh, um, in the lead with a white female actress, and to like have him touch her 
and like be as intimate with her as he was like that was that was pretty big and so even beyond like this movie spawning other movies there have been stories written about this movie uh the not midnight meat train night at the cinema i don't know there's there's a lot of like short stories that people write sort of based around this movie like this movie was a big deal in the horror community when it came out so it is entirely possible that it still would have been a big deal without losing that but i don't know i don't know that zombies would have necessarily been as big because you wouldn't have had the reach to make so many movies based on this Mm -hmm. maybe that would have been a good thing (laughs) (laughs) it would have been Fewer and it would have been better, um, but <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about. Like, it's difficult to uh, to say. I think about yeah. things that are that are cult classics today um, and how that they've lived through. Um, I even think kind of like the Evil Dead in some ways. How he made the Evil Dead and how he just kind of yeah. like made it again, <laughs> just a little bit better. <laughs> Evil Dead, like too. three times, third times yeah, the charm. <laughs> yeah, um, but. And even though, I, like, Evil Dead was never, like, a hyper-like blockbuster, but it still, like, lives on in our culture, and then it's spawned, like, TV shows yeah. and a, mm-hmm. a remake. And now they're making, like, another, you know, a sequel, an actual, like, I think an actual Evil Dead 3, I think they said. Um, I think with, it's a TV show. Well, yeah, there's, there's a show, yeah. but I think Bruce Campbell said that, um, or they keep oh, they're always murmuring about, you know, they might make an actual another um, film film mm-hmm. with, uh, with Bruce Campbell and, um, and Sam. Um, the rumor I heard is going to be Bruce Campbell... And the woman who starred Fetty Alvarez's remake are going to meet in the the third one. Really? Oh wait, so <laughs> Ash and together. Ash are going to meet? Yes. Oh, that would be really cool because I legitimately liked the remake. I thought the remake, the remake was, was better great. than the original film. Like it was. Yeah, and then like, she'll I, be like, "No, this one has a quick, easy start," and and <laughs> he can go, "Yeah, but this one has the horsepower. It'll be, <laughs> you know, it'll be great." <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually a really cool way of like merging universes um, where everybody gets to win. I think about there's like a Ghostbusters comic recently where all the Ghostbusters got to come and play, kind of a thing, you know, like with it's interesting with, with, with how much the world shat on the Ghostbusters like remake. I don't think it was the best movie in the world, but honestly, neither is Ghostbusters 2, you know, which we people try to act like it's great. <laughs> it's not. Um, but uh and now they're now like the new film is is, is coming out and people tell some type of way about that uh but i like the fact that they're able to like everybody gets to play like the new the remake people kind of thing i wish that the chucky universe could figure that out so that everybody could win yeah because right now they're all battling but yeah i mean if nothing else this has got me interested in like going through the the Living Dead universe and kind of exploring those films. No, no, listen, listen. The Return of the Living Dead movies are not good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love them. They are not good movies. No, I, I, I can appreciate a, a bad... I used to have bad movie nights back before the Rona hit, and we would get together and have some drinks. They thought that I couldn't find a worse movie each time, and they always wept into their beers because they were wrong. And well, then I will tell you, Return of the Living Dead 1 and Return of the Living Dead 3, that's where you want to go. I got to know, what is the so far champion of worst movie? The worst movie? The one that made the game the most weeping and gnashing of teeth is called Rap City Street Kids. It was like an animated film made for like 12 bucks and a sandwich. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like three, it's like it's three animated, animated. <laughs> it's, uh, Rhapsody Street, I think it's on YouTube. Raps, Rhapsody Street Kids 
something about Christmas. Um, just the animation is abysmal. It actually has Mark Hamill voices the father, and it's really, really creepy. You know, they they almost look like the 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 human people in the Rob City Street Kingdom. Kids believe in Santa. Yes, yes. Just, just look at the screenshots. You know, I think it's like a 30, 40 minute film on YouTube. It'll make you. Oh my God. Too. But <laughs> but I once tweeted at Mark Hamill about uh, that movie. And I think he even like liked or responded. I forget. Like it's because he's done so much like crazy work. But most of the voice actors um, are not that great at it. The animation doesn't really work for the story they want to tell. This animation is kind of um, nightmare fuel. Like it'll, yeah, it'll. <laughs> Try getting through like a forty minutes of that, and uh, so yeah, like we 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 just we keep seeking out you know bad films, not not films that like know that they're bad, but films that uh because honestly, if you can laugh at a movie, regardless, it's kind of like you know the room, it'll, like it's I love how it debuted, and then then like later on they were like yeah this dark comedy, you know it's like this wasn't <laughs> a comedy. you were you were you were trying to make a masterpiece and those are my favorite it's like it's like you can watch one of the evil evil dead you know to what i know like he was trying to be me seriously make like a horror film and, and it ended up being just kind of goofy and weird then he kind of leaned into that later on you know yeah. and it became like a stylistic thing um and uh you know with old zombie films as well honestly i think uh this film is, is still better than, than a lot of things as far as filmmakers who were uh trying to create a movie beyond their means <laughs> uh but no honestly i love i love just having a drink with some friends and just watching a movie that didn't hit the mark but at least they can take solace knowing that they still entertained us we were still entertained you know there's a blessing in that <laughs> no for sure i uh, i have an amazing love for face off and Long Kiss Goodnight. Um, Long Kiss Goodnight is an amazing film. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And most people would say they're not good movies, but I love them so much. People are wrong. Face Off is amazing. (laughs) Face Off is, that's John Woo, right? It's John Woo, Nicholas Cage, and John Travolta. They swap faces. They swap faces, and that's it. Like, it's just. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, like you could take Nick Cage's face and put it on John Travolta and nobody would know because they have the same size. Body type. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I love how yeah, that's it's John Woo trying to out American like American cinema and just (laughs) giving us the most because because we love uh, we love excess and uh, just like obscenity in that movie. Is all of those things in spades? What was that? Because that was, was that like was that early nineties? Yeah, or late eighties? Late nineties. It's got to be late nineties because I'm pretty 90s? sure it came out around high school for me. Okay. Oh man, it's no that's that's it's just the, the pinnacle of <laughs> I want to call it absurdist yeah. like nineties. The nineties when we were trying to figure out like where we were like in the world. I think about a movie like Ninja Turtles that's like still shaking off the eighties, <laughs> and then you have um something like like face off it's not quite in the early 2000s you know where we became even more you know x versus sever ballistic <laughs> just kind of yeah you got face off uh, and like fucking spice world spice world oh my god um which i've never even seen but i've i've um the effect that it had on all of my friends uh who, who watch it i really kind of want to watch it. I, I recently just watched um charlie's angels for the first time the one with uh the very very more um and Lucy Liu, Cameron Diaz, and my mind was blown. I was like, I would have loved this in was two thousand, I guess, when that movie came out two thousand one. 
no, there was a time when we weren't we were we we weren't really afraid, um, and we just really went for it. And that's what Face Off is. That, that's what when I watched Charlie's Angels. That movie doesn't it doesn't stop to breathe. I wouldn't even call this a good film. It just it's they, they have all the ideas and it's like yeah, let's just do them. Let's just keep in a new scene. Now, now we have different costumes and just like it's so in love with itself. And the Face Off is so up its own ass. <laughs> Uh, that that kind of confidence is we don't get that sometimes nowadays you know that the studios are really like freaking out they're like oh justice league let's you know no we're gonna make it like a marvel film and they're all worried about all these different things and so they're restraining themselves and they don't they don't allow the you know whether it's good or bad you know for better or worse i just really appreciate when studios and creatives go all the way yeah you end up on one side or the other you know and you know, but when you are afraid, when you hold back, when you are trying to check some balances and all the different focus groups, you make something that nobody is going to be able to enjoy. And even like in a bad way, like we're not going to watch this, you know, for bad movie night because it's not all the way bad, but it could be all the way good because you had 45 suits, you know. Suicide Squad, we're looking at you. <laughs> God, <laughs> poor, poor David Ayer, man. Like this, we could have, uh, I even feel bad for Jared Leto. Because apparently there's like an hour, hour's worth of like Joker footage that we haven't seen. And like it or hate that Joker, if they would have like really just, I'm like, give it, give it all to me. And I'll decide later on. Like, I would feel bad for Jared yeah. Leto if he hadn't gone off to become a cult leader. Now I'm like, man, Jared Leto, I have been with you since you were Jordan Catalano. And you've just gotten progressively more and more weird. And I just have to draw the line at cult leader. When he finally became a cult leader, I was like, of course. Like, I, w- I was waiting for it to happen, and then it actually happened. Like, I, I fear. <laughs> but I'll, go- I'll watch him in Morbius. But yeah, he's, he's losing me slowly. <laughs> yeah, when he nailed those condoms to everyone else on the set of the suicide squad, the used condoms, I was, I was done. Uh, that's yeah. Just- it was, uh, honestly, more than him myself, I blame uh, the culture of... What's method called? acting? Like, a method acting. Yeah, like, it has become a... It's like stop, just you. It's not. This, this ain't it. Like it's. Yeah. You, there's never like there's never a good story that comes from somebody who's like I'm gonna do it all well, the I time. I think it's also like method acting is designed for like you're playing a fairly realistic role. Like how do you become this like I don't know I don't. Uh, method acting is for Lincoln? death of a fucking salesman, not the yeah, Joker. Death of a salesman, <laughs> not when you're playing a fucking cartoon character. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with cartoon characters. Just don't live your fucking life like that. Yeah, telling people use condoms on a movie set. What the fuck's wrong with you? There's a there's a famous story from uh, Marathon Man, and I'm wanting to make yeah Lawrence Olivier, uh, where apparently Dustin Hoffman just beat himself up nonstop for Marathon Man method acting, and at some point Lawrence Olivier just looked at him and said, "My dear boy, wouldn't it be easier to simply act?" <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I got to get into the, the mind of this character. I need to, you know, I need that Oscar. I need that Oscar. I'm so, so like, is it your job just to pretend? Yeah. Just do that. Yeah. Let's play. Yeah. I just, I, I want to like touch in on the the power dynamics within the group and like the good idea versus the bad idea. Um, you know, they've got Ben upstairs who's and he's building this fortified space and he's honestly done really well. And it seems like just over and over again, if people had just listened to him, they'd all be fine. Um, And, you know, you've got the shitty dad who's like, we're going to go corner ourselves off in the basement. And it's like, you can see why that sounds like a good idea. But, um, I mean, then you see in Shaun of the Dead how it's a terrible idea. Trapping Um, yourself, (laughs) like, in the, where you can't get out, God. Um, But, yeah. Yeah. My favorite part of the movie 
is that that shitty dad dies twice. Yeah. <laughs> like, they get to kill him twice because it's so satisfying. He's such an <laughs> asshole that once is not enough. <laughs> he's so, like, I, I mean, do you know how bad you have to be to get a woman in 1968 to be like, go open the fucking door, dude? Like, she was just so done. I did like Tom, the jock. Tom? Yeah. Todd? Tom and Judy. Yeah, the jock. Tom and Judy. Um, he actually, like, okay, so the thing I liked about him, super helpful, very into listening to Ben. The thing I didn't like is how he kept being like, we need you to come back up here. And I'm like, do you? Why? Mm-hmm. Why, why do you need him? I felt like there was a strong well, effort to separate people into cellar people and upstairs people. And mm-hmm. I don't know what the point of that was, but it seemed like there was a consistent effort to divide people, which seems like a bad like, idea to me. And that might have just been like a filmmaking thing because it makes it more interesting if there are more things happening in different places as opposed to everyone just being in one room for like, you know, an hour and a half or um, kind of a thing. And I can... Uh, I guess I can understand. I don't think it's realistic because I think if that happens, none of us would like, you know, we would all we would all stick together. I would hope. You know, like if yeah. I'm with people, I guess we're not we're not we're not we're not going anywhere. If the girl's sick, you better put her over there, like you know, on the couch, you know, on the thing, and you know, have Barbara can get up. You know, we can do all this stuff here and be and see, you know, and, uh, like all the way around us. There's a funny move, moment in Sunshine where they get on the other ship and they're like, yeah, we gotta split up and search the ship because we can be more effective that way. Um, and then the guy's like, I don't know. Like, you tell that this guy, you've seen horror films, like, oh, should we do that? You know, kind of a thing. I, I, I agree with you that it's not, like, the separation in every, in every movie when it happens. It just doesn't. Yeah. It's a while. Why are you like this? <laughs> Why would you do this? Have you seen what's outside? Well, that's one of the things that I loved about, um, about Cabin in the Woods is the moment where they're like, we should separate. And um, Topher from Dollhouse oh, yeah. <laughs> is like, Farting. What? Mart, yeah, he's like, what is wrong with you? Um, and so I really appreciate it when movies don't make you do that. Um, this one, yeah, this one did feel like they were really pushing for that, and I wish that they had either gone with it or not, instead of this sort of like middle ground. I think that's the the theme of the movie, in my viewing, is that if we don't all come together, we will die. And I think it's always this group of people in particular. We've got like the the angry middle aged white dude who's just like fuck everybody else. I'm going to protect my family in the basement. And all the single unattached people without kids are just like, we need to come together. Because this one guy is just so obsessed with his own being the, the boss downstairs to paraphrase the movie, they all die. If they'd all come together, <laughs> they would have made it through the night. Yes. I think that we should also, before we stop, talk about the imagery at the end of the movie. Okay, yeah, where they're dragging yeah. him out and throwing him on the fire. Mm-hmm. Boy, yeah, you know, I don't think we've yet mentioned, I think because it's going to be in our quote, but yeah, after surviving the night, being the only one to survive the night, the cops just shoot Ben. They just I, shoot him. Honestly, I love it because it's real. It's because it's real. Like, it's, it's, um, I appreciate whenever a horror film doesn't give like a fair ending, um, because, you know, it's, it's exactly, you know, what would happen. Uh, there's this earlier, this is early in the movie. It's on TV, but you see all these like hyped up like white men with guns, along with the cops, like getting ready to go like blow some zombies away. And thinking about today, you know, and just you know everything on the, the news. Whenever they were, they were prote- protesting, wearing masks, and they're all kind of walking around with their guns, and stuff like that. It's it's interesting because that movie has nothing to do with this, but just 
seeing, you know, because there's not another black person you know, in, the, in, the, in the film. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just all the, just, you know, it's, it's very striking. Um, I guess reality, you know, imitates uh, art or art imitates reality, all the above. I mentioned to Adrian last night that, man, this movie takes on a whole new level of meaning in now. In, in the reality of now, this movie means a lot. So I had, I had a lot of feelings watching this. And yeah, I need to, I need to get with some people, you know, on scene and, and, and watch it again, you know, with uh, uh, maybe I'll spend some of my, my Zoom team appreciating. Um, you know, it's funny. They just took down Gone with the Wind uh, because of the, uh, and they said they're going to bring it back. You know, I think they took it down off HBO Max and they're going to bring it back. Um, with basically a conversation about, hey, this movie does glorify slavery. You know, we're not going to take, we're not going to keep it out of the culture, but we're going to put it here and we're going to talk about it, you know, and talk about, hey, this is where we are now. We don't want to erase history. We want to, everyone's like, they took away Gone with the Wind. I'm like, guys, they, they're going to take it down and they're going to bring it back with a conversation, you know, and, and because that's, that's important. And because, uh, yeah, she won an Oscar for that role, and she, but she wasn't able to uh, even sit she had to go sit like in the back and she couldn't, you know, all the rest of our Gone with the Wind co-stars are at the front, you know, of the room. She has to walk past them, get her award, and walk all the way back, you know, with the, the Negroes. And um, and she got that for playing what white people love to see, like a subservient black person who just loves to fix all the white people's problems. You know, and here, and here in this movie, you have somebody who's trying to survive. He's not playing like a black girl. He's playing the role of somebody who's just trying to live, dealing with all of these, these people and, and trying to... Um, and it's it's doubly important uh, to be able to see that um, to where you're not just playing, you know, another uh, just just another another just another magical Negro character, you know, who's there to uh, like this person. He's part of the fight. He's part of the uh, he's part of the story. Um, and I really not really appreciate that. Anything else? No, I think I think Stephen covered most of what I would have said, but but with better. Uh, better words and fewer cuss words. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our rule, poll, and quote. Um, Ryan, you have our quote. You can be the boss down there. I'll be the boss up here. So, yeah, the, the, the power dynamics there. Um, I tell you what I loved is when, what's, what was his name? Was it Harry? Henry? Harry or Mr. Harry? Cooper. Harry Cooper, um, you know, he felt like he had to get that gun. And when he did get that gun, he kept it for what, 30 seconds? And then Ben was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> and took it back. And I just, I don't know, I feel like there's a meaning there. I'm not sure what it is, but maybe, maybe it's just that Harry was not suitable to be the leader. And Ben was like, no. I think that Harry was really just meant to be a very small character. Uh, we see with him and his wife that, that she's, I mean, we've already established she's done. She is absolutely already done with him before we ever even meet them. And so I think that he was just really like, you know, the fact that he's hiding down below, like literally physically putting himself below everybody else. Um, I think everything about him is just, very much coded to be small and scared and weak. He's talking about hiding, not fortifying. He's talking about retreating entirely as far as he can. He's not, he's not looking at any way to survive at all. Glad I got to see him die twice. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. I mean, it's very, it's real. It's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that, that story. I can think of a lot of my friends who have been with like that, and how they just bring everybody else mm-hmm. down um, because of their cowardice, because of their selfishness. It's never even about the whole. I love and what Breaking Bad. But whenever Walter White admits this was never about my family, this is about me being selfish and terrible. I'm a bad person, you know, kind of a thing to mm-hmm. say it out loud. Um, I can't remember if this character ever ever comes to that conclusion, but he dies twice. So, <laughs> like the movie is a weird. <laughs> And if you look at it, you could see how everybody would have probably been okay if not for him. Because isn't he the one that actually does lock Judy out of the yeah. house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's yeah. the one that locks Judy out of the house. He's the one that hesitates in letting Ben back into the house. Like, he is the problem every fucking step of the way, <laughs> except he didn't blow up the truck. Like, that's that the only fault. thing he didn't do. <laughs> that was yeah. Tom's fault. <laughs> You know what? Tom and Judy were very pretty. What do you want from them? <laughs> you all ever watch 30 Rock with Don Draper losing both of his hands, but everyone just doing everything for him? Kind of reminds me of that. I miss 30 Rock. 30 yeah, Rock was great. That was a good show. Um, well, um, Ryan also has our rule. Listen to the boss up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't yeah, listen think- to the person who's, the person who's hiding. <laughs> I think we already mentioned, but yeah, if people would have listened to Ben, they probably would have lived through the night. Yeah. Um, if Judy would have stayed her ass in the house, um, just, uh, people should have listened to Ben, man. I mean, he was, Ben had his shit together from moment one. Like, mm-hmm. he was taking care of Barbara more than he had any reason to. Like, when he was trying to save her, even as her, even as Johnny, like, pulled her into the horde of zombies, I was like, Ben, just let her go, man. Just leave you not over anything. You spend a lot of time trying to cater to, to, uh, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say. You don't have to think of a nice way to say, we're not a nice podcast. Puddle white women who bring nothing to the table. Um, uh, just yeah, she's kind of she kind of became the, the quintessence of that. Her death is really interesting. Her brother just kind of comes back and just kind of like, I'm taking this. <laughs> <laughs> There's a one of my favorite bands, uh, No More Kings, made a song called "They're Coming to Get You, Barbara." Um, uh, if you guys have not seen it, I think he even when he when um. When he made the video, I think he just he even just used I guess because he could just footage from the the movie, um, and it's a really sweet little um, uh, laid back like you know g- g- guitar ballad. It's very fun to listen to. They're coming to get you, Barbara. You know, and uh, he where he walks through the story of uh, of the movie. Uh, I would definitely say look it up. It's it's uh, a song by No More Kings called "They're Coming to Get You, Barbara." In fact, I think he also has a all all of the No More Kings music is is basically based off of pop culture uh, from the lead singer's childhood. I think he even has a song called Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, he does. It comes uh, up if you search it on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, listen, listen, like, listen to that whole album. Listen to his whole, the, the entire, you know, discography. But They're Coming to Get You, Barbara is a really fun zombie song. Not like many others. Check it out. Uh, our poll is, would Ben have been shot if he were a white man? I don't think he would have um, there. Yes. No, he would not have been shot. Yeah, I think about that group, the group of dudes uh, who was marching out there, how they were all gun-toting white men. Uh, I feel like not. I think some well-actually dude out there 
could make an argument that they couldn't really see Ben through the window. But I think if you change that, if you have, if they don't shoot Ben, if you have been played by a white man, what, like, if you change anything about that scene, I think that this movie loses so much of its poignancy. Yeah. These zombies move so slow. Like, you got time. Yeah. You got time. You got time to check it out. Um, so. Uh, they shot him in the face. Like, it wasn't like they couldn't see the face they shot. <laughs> you can see someone well enough to hit them in the face. You can, can see them. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. point. Yeah. Like um, I said, I, I don't entirely believe the argument that I was making there. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's always good to have a challenge, though. Like, I get what you're, what you're saying, you know. Um, it would be i'd be happy to have that debate with someone <laughs> i don't know that it's always good to challenge people like sometimes people are like i'm playing devil's advocate and i'm like the devil doesn't need a fucking advocate in this devil argument so you could go sit down i noticed that as they were coming across the field though um some of the zombies they shot weren't particularly shuffling like like maybe you could have said hey dude and seen if somebody turned around and again the argument could be made that anyone who's out walking across that field probably is a zombie nonetheless some of the people they shot didn't look that zombie like to me in the remake of dawn of the dead and i want to say that maybe they even do this in dawn of the dead or day of the dead but in the remake of dawn of the dead they definitely do that where they were where the survivors when they meet each other will hold somebody at gunpoint and be like say something i remember and that. make it makes, them <laughs> yeah it doesn't take a lot to be able to like to to think of just to think about it you know these zombies aren't speaking like they're shuffling and like moaning you know kind of a thing they're not like mm-hmm. delivering haikus you know so <laughs> just, just you know ask <laughs> if the person speaks maybe we got something yeah god all right well let's um uh steven you have got some projects you want to tell us about those <laughs> i do most importantly right now i'm working on a sci-fi web show called 300 days to mars uh, we were we were making a film um, right before the, the virus hit, and because of it, we lost the means to complete that film as is. So we got pushed back to next year when we have more resources and a, a new location to shoot. Um, and in the meantime, I was just like, look, I can't just sit here. I got to make something. And we were in quarantine, so I made, I created a sci-fi story where uh, I basically, I was like, I don't know how long I'll be in my house. So I built a ship cockpit into my closet. And I created a way for me to have a show with others who weren't, who weren't there with me. Like all of the, almost all of the supporting cast, they film from home and then they send me their parts and my character speaks to them through, um, you know, through like ship communication. Um, and they pop up as little boxes on the screen. And I play a courier, Gabriel Highlight, who is, he's taking a package to Mars and it will take 300 days. Uh, and so each new episode, we, we have a new episode every Monday this month, and then we'll be taking July off to work on Chapter 2, and then we'll be back in August with five new episodes, then we'll take a month off and come back again. Um, and the response has been uh, phenomenal. It's been a great new way to learn how to, to work and create. Right now, um, even in a, a couple of hours, I'll be filming some of the actors that uh, I'll be editing tonight to put up our episode tomorrow evening. It's no, it's been great. And it's been really awesome to work with so many creatives. Um, just yet yeah, on Facebook, it's 300 days to Mars episodes. One and two are up there right now. A YouTube page is coming uh, very, very soon. And uh, that's the biggest thing right now. It, it set off and now I've <laughs> got a web show that takes up a lot of my time, but it's, it's great to be able to, 
kind of have the pressure of you know writing and directing and editing and there's mm-hmm. so, much, so much music that's going uh, into this from different people so there's a lot of artists there's not it's not more than just me in my closet um there are so many artists who make this possible uh i just really want to encourage people to there's no cap on create um creativity uh, um we live in the age of the internet so like there's never been an easier time to be able to uh, even we, you know, with content like this, there's there's never been an easier time to be able to connect with people, and uh, that's what I live for as as a creator. So, yeah, if you are into sci-fi or you're just curious what quarantine <laughs> content uh, can look like, uh, 300 Days to Mars, I think you'll dig it. Can I ask you about a specific project? You may. The Thirst. The Thirst. Yes. Uh, the Thirst did take. There was two. The Thirst and my. Uh, which was my horror story and Briar Black, which was my, which is my, uh, a suspense thriller. Uh, both of those projects, I kind of, I kind of put a hold whenever I started making the film and they're still on hold because I'm working on this, this show right now, but I do want to get back into that. The thirst was always meant to be a horror film. Basically my friends sent me so many, um, I would see so many, uh, DM thirst messages where it's basically the three step program of a guy messages you says, Hey, uh, the second step is he, he propositions sex in some way. Then after being denied or ignored, he gets violent, you know, with his words as he, you know, manifests his, uh, his smallness uh, and trying to bring down the other party in some, in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this story and you can go to uh, my page of thirst. I've got a couple of chapters up there to, to be able to read. Um, my real goal is to make it a graphic novel and then later on make it a film. But I wanted to create this creature the, the it's called the thirst and she comes basically to judge men who abuse women and they're like the lead characters in this are all they're all different women uh, everywhere from you know one of the characters is a stripper and I my friend who worked at night trips um, she actually um, um, rest her soul she committed a suicide a couple of years ago but uh, she invited me out to uh, the club. And the girls basically just told me their horror stories. Like the horror in this story is not what this creature does to the men. The horror in this story is in the lives of the women, just like living with the way that they're devalued. And, you know, it's not some kind of white knight story where it's like, yeah, all these men are going to get torn up and, you know, it's a gift kind of release, although that happens. And so you should be people definitely feel free to, to enjoy that. But the, uh, <laughs> I really wanted. I, I, I really wanted to to showcase, you know, in a different way. Like, yeah, this creature is coming, and it finds men, and it looks into your soul, and what it, and ju- judging uh, based off of what it sees is how she will judge you. She might not kill you. You might have something far worse. It's up to the these women who are trying to stop this creature from, like, you know, brutalizing, terrorizing, and murdering these these men. Um, uh, and so, for them to be the heroes, saving these men who some you know would say don't deserve to be saved i wanted to basically highlight the, the different ways because it's it's not just beating somebody that's not the that's not all encompassing of abuse there's what you do with your words with your actions what you don't say you know how you a lot of things came to light in the past like decade for me in ways little ways that i had not that i had failed you know many of my my, my sisters and it really, it really made me think it can start small and get so much bigger. I have friends who they'll vanish for like a few months and they come back and they're like, oh yeah, my boyfriend ended up being really abusive. Um, one of my friends came back a few years ago and uh, she was gone for a few years. We didn't know where she went. And she was like, yeah, like she had the house. She 
had the car. She had the money. But for some reason, he got into her head. He was beating her, you know, that kind of a thing. And that's common. That's the story of so many women. And it's up to men to keep other men accountable, not for women to change their entire uh, lives to be able to keep from being attacked by terrible dudes. You know, it's an infestation in the world and definitely in this country. And so... Even the creature itself, when I first wrote it, was like a male character. And I was like, oh, no, it's not. That's. <laughs> I was like, even even in my head, you know, we don't think of them as equals. We don't fear them. I think even like the majority of like villains, even like Bond villains, the majority, most of them are men. I don't, don't know if there are any female Bond villains, actually. I don't think like main villains. I think there's like, there's Mayday at one point. I think her name she's is. Like a, like a sub-villain. Like a, yeah, she's a like the, the henchman. Yeah, unless it's like a Disney like princess story, we don't think of them as uh, of a uh, a lot of times of women as uh, I guess horror is done probably better because you know there's some woman in the bathtub or some evil you know. Elizabeth <laughs> Bathory has done a lot for the horror genre. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I wanted to uh, basically just kind of throw my hat in there and to make it for something to make a story about something that that, that means something. It's about actual solutions, like the solution to uh, this you know, I'll say like epidemic, like, you know, in our country, it's not some creature just murdering the men. That's not what the solution is. That's not the point of the book. It happens because it is a violent reaction to how society has devalued them since the inception of, of like society. Uh, like at least very much our society, you know, like American society. And I really do want to get back to that story. Um, eventually, it's something that I want to do once I've delegated all the like right now with this show that I'm doing, I'm, do, I'm doing almost everything. Like I'm, I'm directing it, I'm editing it, I'm writing it. Uh, and so once I have fewer plates to spin, I'll get to touch my other projects again. But you can find The Thirst and like the base of it also on Facebook is where I was writing and releasing it. I hope to, by Halloween, be able to upload another delicious chunk of that story. Because my favorite horror films are something that have something to say. And I hope to... You know, my name is Stephen King, you know, so I wanted to stay away from like, that genre uh, for a while, <laughs> but it was inevitable uh, because it is something that I enjoy. You know, we can, there's so much that we can do with just being afraid, you know, and how it can, those stories can motivate us uh, uh, to be better people, better creatives. So that was a very long uh, way of saying yes the thirst exists it can be found and i will definitely return to it but some of it is already up there for people to read i don't remember how i ended up friends with steven on facebook but man you are so creative and you're just you're just a <laughs> dynamo and you just you just never stop and i feel like just <laughs> being friends with you on facebook gives me creative energy um Recently, like like last week, Stephen put up a drawing of John Boyega and his speech. That was amazing. Thank uh, you. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to getting that print. Um, yes, um, yeah, that, that, those, those, those are shipping out um, on on Monday. I'll finally be getting getting those out to everybody. I'm super super excited. Um, all the support that I got from that, and just you know, seeing you know Boyega who. The first face that we saw in the new Star Wars, like that first trailer, was a black, you know, stormtrooper. And from that from that point, just I was like, oh my, like it's, it was so stunning for me, uh, for that imagery to be the first thing that that we see, and realizing how entertainment is going to be changing a lot. At one point, you know, in Star Wars, 
there'd be like one black person in the whole galaxy. You know, there's Lando and maybe somebody in the background over there. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, Mace Windu, you know, if for some reason it's like the only black person that I see. It can only be one at a time. One woman, one black guy. Yes. And now we live in a world where, yeah, there's, there's more women than black people, <laughs> almost like in real life, you know, and, you know, God bless Star Trek because Star Trek has always been so much better to all of us than a lot of things and realizing that we, we are all capable of being everything. Uh, and so to be able to, to have a platform and to be able to, to use my voice, you know, as, as a black man, I'm ahead of basically every other minority, um, you know, and often sometimes, you know, ahead of, uh, uh, of women in a lot of ways. So I'm still a man, but more so than Asians, definitely more so than Native Americans, you know, and to be able to, and I always tell people Mexicans or Latinos by more movie tickets than any other minority and name me five Mexican superheroes and people can't do it you know they don't like you know exist and um so to have a platform to have people like caring listening to what i'm saying at all it's why things like the thirst for me matter because i'm able to as a man make a story um that speaks out you know that i want other men to be able to read like it's like this isn't about feeling you know so guilty that you're like oh what am i doing you know it's about what part of myself do i see in these characters and how can i change that you know that kind of a thing and showcase like the, the lead female role in 300 days to mars is a uh, she's half Mexican, and she plays an alien um, who no one's seen yet. But I purposefully—I almost made her eyes a different color. Um, and I was like, "No, I want to keep your, your your dark eyes here because like those, like, those are also beautiful. Like it's it's uh, to be seen, to be seen as important, to be seen as relevant, to be seen as beautiful is something that I, as a black man, have seen much more than black women. I've seen it much more than you know Latina uh, women. More, you know, much more than a lot of people. So I don't want forget that even though right now we have the stage and I, I'm very grateful to have the stage in this time of, you know, of suffering where people are listening. And I don't want to forget that that means also looking out for, you know, even my, my many friends in the LGBTQ community, like they, to be able to, you know, they are supporting us so much. And I, and what I create and what I'm crafting right now, I very much want them to know that, you know, I'm here you as well you know if a disenfranchised group is not looking out for all of the disenfranchised groups then you're you you're forgetting what it's like every you time know. i meet a racist gay person i'm like what the fuck anybody <laughs> anybody can be taught to hate themselves it, it blows my mind like, I, I see it all the time uh and it's like it's uh or anybody, anybody can be taught to see wait a minute i've become that which i hate lord get me started on you know on candace owens like it's <laughs> we I was raised with a lot of patience. I've had a lot of people be patient with me. You know, as I've learned, I found you know things that I've said and done like in the past. I remember when we were young, you know, in high school, we used the word "gay" for everything. That was just like the de de default. I was like, "Oh my god, were we like that?" And he was like, "Yeah, we were totally like that." I was like, yikes, you know. And uh, to look back, I'm like, wow, like I've grown, like we change. And society is like experiencing intense growing pains right now. As you know, nobody's being quiet anymore. Everyone's like, "Oh wait, I, I can talk. Wait, I, I matter. Like I can speak." You know, and so we're getting it. You know, like a thousand, you know, uh, fists to the face a minute, and you're gonna have to learn to, you know, start rolling with those punches and and evolve or die. <laughs> and so uh, that's where I am. And luckily, and as a creative person. I, I, I'm bad about starting a million projects, which is why I've stopped and I'm focusing on the one right now. Uh, I'm so bad about, I'm going to do 200 things at once. <laughs>
It's so easy to say yes. Yeah, God, uh, <laughs> it really is. And I've gotten better over the past couple of years where I'm like, Stephen, if you don't finish a project, none of these will get done. And so, so 300 Days to Mars is what I'm focusing on. And as that launches the studio, I'll finally be able to, hey, you artists, I have this story, The Thirst. Can you do the art for me here? And then we'll move, we'll move with that. And hey, you artists, I'm working on this thing called Briar Black. Can you help me create this? And thankfully... <laughs> I overloaded and I had to stop. Uh, another thing I would say to creatives, don't be afraid. It's because I know everybody is always working on 20 things. Get something done so you have you know, a resume to be able to show, start working on the next thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Don't get to 33 like me where I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, listen, 33-year-old, uh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ryan, what have you got that you want to tell us about? Oh, so I guess the last creative thing I worked on, I did an anthology for Murder of Storytellers Press, which obviously you and Adrian are a part of. <laughs> when the Sirens Have Faded, um, pretty psyched about it. And if you want to follow my other projects, you can find me on Twitter at RyanB4890. Sweet. I'm at SoonerDVM on Twitter and Donna underscore Leahy on uh, Instagram. I'm not terribly active on either platform, but if you want to see how my Animal Crossing Island is doing, that's that's where you would go. Adrian? I am Junkyard Poet on Twitter. And mostly right now, uh, I'm posting a lot of angry political things and uh, stuff about Final Fantasy. <laughs> so that's what you'll get there. <laughs> all, all of which are very important. Yeah, FF7, <laughs> FF7 Remake, you know, rocked my world. Oh, it's so good. I love it so much. I feel like they took everything that I didn't like about the original and fixed it. <laughs> right. And then added some new stuff so I'm not just playing through the exact same story. Yeah, it was exactly. That Barrett, the only black character who was very much just Mr. T because the Japanese often, like, just, you know, bless their hearts, they try. And they just, they'll, they'll pick like a, you know, we're either Dennis Rodman or we're Mr. T, you know. Kind of <laughs> that they gave all the characters so much more nuance. Uh, but yes, Angry Political Things and Final Fantasy um, are, I think, uh, they're both very important. <laughs> and, because Final Fantasy is an angry political thing. FF7 is very much like, you guys are killing the planet, fuck you. I mean, yeah. all of the Final Fantasy games really are like that. They're all like, fuck those in power who are screwing <laughs> over the planet and the people yes very much so (laughs) you can find us and lots of other cool podcasts on the gumby cat network you can find us on twitter at beyond the cabin of the woods on instagram beyond the cabin of the woods on the internet beyond the cabin of the woods on facebook beyond the cabin of the woods i think some of those are just beyond the cabin oh okay i mean we try really hard to stick with our branding you guys um kinsey uh, knows these answers we don't know we don't know how to do this part Um, So I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much, Stephen. And if you ever want to come back, you just let us know. Most definitely. No, I had a great time. Thank you for having me. I'm not going to thank you, Ryan, because you come all the time. (laughs) I will thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Ryan. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Ryan. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, guys. And don't read the Latin. You know what horror is. Gumby Cat Productions. Podcasts for podcast people. Meow. Meow.